So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we'll be in verses 1 and 2 this morning. Romans and, and chapter 12. And if I had to sum this, um, this sermon up in a sentence, it would go like this. In light of the gospel, our logical worship is to offer our entire self as living sacrifices to God through the renewal of our minds. In light of the gospel, our logical worship is to offer our entire self as living sacrifices to God through the renewal of our minds. So this week begins our our short five-week participation series as we're wrapping up our core team series. So that means here in about four weeks, we're going to be having our, uh, I guess you would call it like our our grand opening in a way. So we will um, we'll put it out there on the internet and those things that we're shifting from our core team service. We're having a public opening. Um, we'll be inviting more folks. So that's kind of a charge to all of us here to, today. Don't come back unless you bring somebody with you. I'm just kidding. You should definitely come back, but you should definitely bring somebody with you. Um, so it, it'll, be, it'll be bigger uh, in the sense of we'll be going exegetically verse by verse through a book of the Bible, and we've chosen Colossians. So our core team series is wrapping up. We're beginning uh, an open, uh, kind of our public hard launch, shifting from our soft launch to our hard, hard launch. And, and so this is our, our short five-week participation series as we wrap that up. And we begin this week with, with worship. The title of this message is called Logical Worship. And we begin this, this week with our five-week participation series with worship. And we begin here because I think it's the starting point for every other area uh, for how we're supposed to participate in. Because if we get worship wrong, then how we give is wrong. If we get worship wrong, then how we serve is wrong. If we get worship wrong, then how we evangelize is wrong. So on and so forth. I think you guys understand what, where, I'm, where I'm talking about. So if we can set a solid um, foundation for worship, it'll help us in all the other areas. And if we come to get a good handle on worship and how we do it, we'll, we'll, we'll do all the rest of these other things, praying, giving, serving, evangelizing, with more meaning, with more purpose, and with more passion. And so I ask you guys, please, if you found your, your place to Romans chapter 12, please stand as we honor the word of God and read. Romans chapter 12, please stand as we honor the word of God. And it's beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your grace, and we thank you for, uh, for your mercies that we'll preach about this, afternoon, or this morning, Lord. And um, as we think about uh, what you have done for us, God, we just pray that you would cause our hearts to worship you. We think about the song that Joanna sang for us this morning, that hymn, that Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe, that sin has left a crimson stain, but uh, he washed it white as snow. Because you paid it all, Jesus, we owe everything to you. So allow our hearts this morning to be set on you, to be holy, to be pleasing to you, to be sanctified, set apart, our minds to be fixed on you. And help us to worship you, Lord, with all that we have. This morning, God, we pray for those that can't be with us. We pray for the Martins as um, Luca's in the hospital or uh, at, at urgent care this morning being seen for, um, you know, some illness and, and stuff. We just pray for them and that, God, you would give them supernatural rest and help them to be compassionate parents um, during this time that their child is sick, that you would bring healing to Luca. And we pray for the Hoffmans as... Um, they're, for traveling mercies as they're coming back or they've just gotten back, that, God, you would refresh them and, and give them um, a renewed spirit. And, and, God, we also pray for our local partners here in Omaha. We pray for City Light Mosaic and, and Westside Church and also for Center Baptist Church that, God, as their services are going on right now at this moment or soon to be here in a few minutes, that, God, you would bless their services, that you would cause hearts to be drawn to you this morning and that Christians all over the city would walk out of church this morning changed and they wouldn't leave the same way that they arrived and and father we also pray for new harmony church and crossway baptist church in springfield missouri as they support us and help us and pray for us god we pray for them that your their services would go well this morning that you would meet all of their needs that you would be big jesus that you'd be exalted god we ask all these things in faith in jesus name amen you can be seated So as we dive into the text, our first observation that we see uh, is Paul's call 
to worship in light of the gospel. And I want you to listen to the seriousness, as, uh, the seriousness of Paul's writing in chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He, there's like this, this huge sense of urgency in his writing when he's saying, I appeal to you. He's, he's saying, I exhort you, I, I, I beg you, I'm, I'm earnestly pleading, I appeal to you. And what's he appealing to them by? We see him say we i appeal to you therefore by the mercies of god and i and i hope you guys know this uh, as i've taught you before every time that we see a therefore in the text we have to ask ourselves what is the therefore therefore he's there's always referring to something that he made an argument about before so he's saying i appeal to you brothers therefore by the mercies of god the therefore is, 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 is about the mercies of God. So what mercies are we talking about? Well, is it just the mercies in, in Romans chapter 11 that we see, uh, that we are, are grafted in? You know, is, is it just the mercies there? Is it just the mercies of, of Romans 9, 10, and 11? No, it's absolutely deeper than that. Because one thing that we have to understand in the book of Romans is that Paul spends 11 chapters so we're in chapter 12. He spent every chapter before this feeding us doctrine in light of the gospel, feeding us teaching in light of the gospel. So for 11 chapters, Paul has been making a theological argument centered around the problem of how sinful man can be made in a right relationship with God. For 11 chapters, he's been giving us this, this, this doctrine. But now here in chapter 12, his, his, his treatise has, has come to an end. And he begins, as any good teacher would, with application. This is the first time that we see in the book of Romans any kind of application, and that's what the therefore is there for. And so after man has been made right with God, it's vital to know how we are to interact with others. It's vital to know how we are to walk. It's vital to know how we're, uh, how, how we're to, to worship God. And before we move on to, to how we worship, Let's really press into why we worship, and, and let's stay here in this first part of verse 12, or first part of verse 1. Let's just marinate in it for a little bit and discover, you know, what is the therefore, therefore? What are these mercies he's talking about? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. These mercies that he's talking about is, is by the mercies of God in, in chapter 1, that he gives us his righteousness through faith that we might be saved. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Uh, his mercy, the mercies of God is what he's appealing to them by, and we see that in, in chapter 2 and 3, that even though you know, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we're justified by his gift of grace through the, the redemption of, of Christ Jesus. The mercies that that Paul is talking about is in chapter 4, that we, like Abraham, are justified through faith. The mercies that Paul is talking about is in chapter 5, that God demonstrates his love for us, and yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The mercies that Paul is talking about is in chapter 6, that we are dead to sin, but we're alive to Christ Jesus. The mercies that Paul is talking about is in, verse, or in chapter 7, that in Christ we've been set free from the law. The mercies that Paul, are talking about, Paul is talking about is in, in chapter 8, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The mercy that Paul is talking about is in chapter 9, that he has mercy on whom he has mercy and compassion on whom he has compassion. Uh, it's his sovereign choice. The, the mercy that Paul is talking about is in chapter 10 also, that he would raise up people to take the gospel to the nations, that people might hear and believe and call on Jesus and be saved. And the mercy that he is talking about is also in chapter 11, that salvation would come to us Gentiles, that God has grafted us in so that's those 11 chapters of mercy that he's speaking about and i invite you guys in your spare time maybe when you go home tonight just jump into the book of romans and read those first 11 chapters and discover how beautiful and rich and vast and amazing the mercies are in those first 11 chapters and it's beautiful and so now we here we are in, in chapter 12 it's by these wonderful mercies that we as paul writes are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. You see, we, we worship because of what Christ has done for us. We worship in light of the gospel. So how do we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? What, what is worship actually? 
I, I believe we can answer these, these questions in our second point here, that worship is sacrifice. Worship is sacrifice. See, Paul is appealing to the church in Rome, and he's appealing to us today by the mercies of God to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so this takes us back to the Old Testament system of worship. And this is a good reason why I say that uh, worship is a sacrifice, because in the Old Testament system of worship, a sacrifice was demanded. It demanded a sacrifice. Absolutely no other way to worship God other than going to him through a sacrifice. If, uh, you know, I had to bring grain or produce or I had to bring an animal before the Lord and I had to sacrifice it to him on the altar in order to worship God. The Old Testament system of worship, which Paul is referring to here, is literally a sacrifice. And so that's why I say that sacrifice is or worship is a sacrifice. And this is how worship was defined. And I love what Dr. R.C. Sproul writes about here, uh, or writes about here about sacrifice. He, he says this, we think of sacrifice as the giving away of something of extreme value. There's an element of that in biblical sacrifice, but the primary point is not that we should lose something, catch this, but that we should express something. The whole principle of giving to God is an expression of worship, right? So the whole, the whole point of me bringing an animal to the Lord or bringing my fruit to the Lord or bringing this grain to the Lord was not that I would lose something like, oh, I have to ho-hum, go give this to the Lord and I'm going to lose a tenth of this or a tenth of that or I'm going to lose this, this steer, I'm going to lose this goat, I'm going to lose this sheep. No, it's literally like because of what you've done for me, because of who you are, Here's all that I have. You, you see where, you smell what I'm stepping in there? So in the Old Testament, the animals that were offered were, were killed, right? Their, their blood was spilled upon the altar. And then their different parts were, were offered to God. In contrast to this Old Testament system of worship, in light of the gospel, we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. So not our animals, not our grain, but ourselves, our entire selves, because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus Christ gave the most ultimate sacrifice, himself upon the cross of Calvary, so that you and I might be set free from sin, so that you and I might be in a right relationship with the Father and inherit eternal life. So in light of this glorious sacrifice, we're to give up our entire selves every part of our being our body mind soul and strength not losing something of great value but an expression of absolute gratitude and that's why i love that song gratitude right what's he say in that song when he's like what do i have that's fit for a king or something rather like that right but it but a hallelujah that's that's all i got but i'm bringing you everything it's all i have but it, it, i'm bringing you everything praise the lord amen like it's everything that he's got. What can I offer you? I think it's beautiful. It's an expression of gratitude. And we worship God by laying our entire selves upon the altar, offering up all that we are and all that we have in service to him. And that's ultimately how we fulfill the great commandment. Anthony, do you know what that great commandment is? I get to pick on you because you're my nephew. Do you know what the great commandment is? The great commandment is, is that we should love thy Lord thy God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength, that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. We fulfill that great commandment, loving the Lord thy God with all of our heart, sign, heart, mind, soul, and strength. We fulfill that by being living sacrifices, by offering up every bit, every ounce, every drop of our being on the altar for him. And so I want to mention that this verb that Paul uses when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. So that verb present that Paul uses here carries with it the meaning once and for all, forever. It's a commitment of one's entire self, entire person, body, soul, mind, to God. It's, it's every ounce of being who you are. I'm fully committed once and for all to you. It's much like marriage. Kyra, when you married Colin, what were those things that were said when, when they said, do you take this man to be your husband through thickness? Through thickness? <laughs> Y'all getting thick. <laughs> if you get fat, I'm going to love you. <laughs> no, <laughs> through thickness. 
<laughs> through thickness, through health, right? <laughs> through sickness, through health, through <laughs> till death, till death do us part. If you get thick, I'm gonna love you. <laughs> that's funny, but no, that's it's true. Even if you get fat, I'm gonna love you. Excuse me, Lord. It, it, even through sickness, through health, right? Um, through the good times, through the bad, through the good weather and the bad weather. Till death do us part. I'm committed to you forever. There's nothing that can get between us and separate us. I'm committed to you. My whole body belongs to you. My whole mind, my whole soul belongs to you. I absolutely cannot give that to somebody else, right? Solely belongs to him. And that's kind of the, the, the meaning behind that word present. Once and for all, totally and completely, solely belonging to the Lord. Amen? And this means that we offer ourselves to God on more days than just Sunday. We offer ourselves to God on more days than just Sunday. See, true worship isn't sacrificing a few hours out of our schedule once a week. See, true worship isn't just singing aloud and raising our hands. See, true worship isn't just a feeling. You guys might be thinking like, okay, you're talking about worship. I figured you would be talking about how we sing. Honestly, worship, that's a small part of it. It's an expression of what we do. And it's an expression of what God's done for us, I mean. And, and, and out of that comes our praise, our adoration, our singing. And I'll get more to that. But you guys might be thinking, I thought you were going to talk about that. I, I didn't think you was going to step on my toes about how I worship throughout the week. But I have to tell you that it's not a song. It's not just a feeling. True worship has Monday morning in mind. True worship doesn't just stop here once you walk out of this door at 11 o'clock. True worship has Monday morning discipleship in mind. True worship is, is more than a song. True worship happens despite our feelings. Even when the world crushes around us, when Satan's got his foot in our neck, when we're battling our flesh and we're having a hard time to go about it, we still worship, man. And I would argue that, that less than 1% of our time Less than 1% of our time at this church, at Imago Day, is spent each week in this sanctuary. It's actually like 0.892% of our time is spent in this sanctuary every week. And so if this is the only time that you worship, you're giving less than 1% of yourself to God. Do I need to say that for the people in the back? If this is the only time that we worship, then you're giving yourself, you're giving less than 1% of yourself to God. That's startling, guys. That hurts my heart. Because I know that there's, opportun- there's times where I didn't worship like I should have that week. And to sit here and think that maybe I gave 1% of myself, 5% of myself to God. It makes me sad. And so if you're counting on this to be the only time that you worship, you're giving yourself 0.892% of yourself to the Lord. And if we spend 99% of our time outside of these walls, how are we worshiping God? In what ways are we worshiping God? Because it doesn't just happen here in this place. And there's a song by Jimmy Needham entitled Clear the Stage. And if you haven't ever heard this song by Jimmy Needham called Clear the Stage, you need to listen to it when we leave. And he says this in, the, in, in, in one of the courses of a song. He says, you can sing all you want to and you can still get it wrong because worship is more than a song. Man, it's a beautiful song. You need to check it out. And, and I'm here today, and I'm appealing to all of us, just as Paul is appealing to us, that in light of the great sacrifice that was made for us, let us learn how to worship by sacrificing ourselves on the altar of God daily. 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 Because Jesus said what? Pick up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, tote your Bible to church on Sunday, and that was it. He he didn't say, go to that Bible study on Tuesday night, you'd be good. He didn't say, uh, you know what, just bow your head at meals and you're fine. No, pick up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord is what Paul is saying. And listen to the rest of this verse right here in, in chapter 2. It's beautiful. Not just a living sacrifice, but a living sacrifice that is holy, that's acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship holy acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship he wants the very best of us right the old testament system of worship demanded first fruits 
The Old Testament system of worship demanded firstborns. It demanded unblemished, perfect sacrifices from the flock. And since Christ satisfied all those demands for us, then we need to be offering our very best to our master. Our very best to our master. And guys, I'm preaching this to myself. And I preached it to myself. And I've and I, and I preached it to myself even this morning. And it hurts me. So, so don't think that I'm pointing fingers and stepping on toes and doing any of that stuff. But I'm preaching it to you as God preached it to me. So I pray that you receive it just as I did. But God demands... And the Old Testament demanded those first fruits. That's unblemished, perfect sacrifice. Since Christ satisfied those demands, we offer our best. And in and, and, and the Old Testament, what was worship? In the Old Testament, what was worship if I, if I kept the very best part of the crop for myself? If, if I, had, if I had, had went to the crop and I got these apples, say, for instance, off this tree, and I got a whole bushel of apples here that are nice, shiny, vibrant, red, delicious apples. And then over here, I got these ones that are red, dull, mushy, got wormholes in there. And I go to the altar of God and I go to the place of sacrifice and I say, here you go, Lord. I brought you a share of my crop. I brought you a share of my harvest. What if I'm a, a shepherd in the field and, and what I have to bring to the Lord is a lamb and I, and I have a lamb that's a male firstborn over here and then I have a lamb who's got a broken leg and it's not white as snow, it's blemished. It's got a broken leg, it's got imperfections and I take that one with a broken leg and that imperfection and I take it to the Lord and I lay it behind, before the altar and I say, here you go, Lord. Here's my sacrifice, my offering. What's that show how I care about the Lord? Like, what's that show what I think about the Lord? It shows that I don't give a rip about the Lord. It shows that I don't worship God. It shows that I'm going to bring just whatever I want to you and defy everything that you've ever told me to bring, which was sinless, perfect, unblemished, um, um, first fruits, first flocks, sacrifices. And so Jesus fulfilled that, but he wants all of us, our very best. And so what would it be? It would be no worship at all if I didn't bring him the very best. Why is it that we think that since Jesus paid it all, that I don't have to give him my best? Why is it that we think that since, oh, you know, grace covers me, I can slack off a little bit. Now, I'm saved by grace and my ticket's bought, I'm going to heaven. I don't really have to give it all to Jesus. I can kind of slack off here and there. Why is it that we think that? Why don't we think instead that since Jesus paid it all, I'm going to give my very best. Since he died and hung on the cross for me, I am going to give my life for you. Why is it that we kind of think this way? Why don't we think like that? Why does it, what does it say that I think about God if I only give him my second best? And this cuts deep for me. If I wake up in the morning, if I, if I only give him the second best of my morning, if I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is just grab my phone and I hit on the Facebook and I start to scroll in. Next thing you know, I'm looking at Marketplace and I'm doing everything else and I done found five sets of wheels that I want and I want to buy this car and I want to buy that. And then I pack my bag and I head out the door and I go to the gym and I do all my things and I come back to the house and I ain't spent a lick of time with him that morning. When I had pure quietness in my house because I got up before everybody else. What's that show that I think about God if I give him my second best in my morning? Seriously, and what's it show that I, what I think about God if, 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 I, if I get my check for the week and I go to the Lord and I go and I buy every little Zuzu and Wham Wham and everything else that I want and I pay all my bills and I do all these things and I look at what I got left and I say, I can give you this little bit, Lord, because that's all I got. Shows that I don't really give a rip. Truthfully, what's it show if I give him the second best of my time? If I, if I say, for instance, that I, I'm, I'm not willing to give the other 99% of my week to you at all in any shape or form, or what about at work? If I give my second best to him at work, if, if I'm cheating on my time card, if I'm, if I'm leaving lunch early, if I give my word to them at work and then I break it, what if, what if I say, you know what, that's not my job. I don't get paid to do that. And I sit around and I'm, and I'm a nuisance instead of working like it's worship. It says that I don't really give a rip about God. Since God gave us his very best, since he gave his very best to us, we, in turn, got to give him all that we got. And I want us to look at the last two words in verse one there. Fix your eyes on the page if your Bible's open. It says spiritual worship. And this is what I love about having another Bible that shows me um, the original language. This word spiritual worship literally means logical worship. And so when you make a logical decision, 
What is it that you're doing? You're making a clear, thought about, rational, reasoned decision. Like, it, a logical decision is, it just makes sense. Like, like we're going to have awesome, like, little Smokies wrapped in bacon at my house tonight. Like, Colin's back there like, totally logical. I'm going to be there for that. It just makes perfect sense. I'm not going to miss that for the world, right? It's a logical decision. I'm going to be there. You know what I mean? I find out that there's tamales somewhere. Logical decision. I'm on my way. You know what I'm saying? It just makes sense. And so that's what he's saying here. Logical worship. It's your logical worship. It just makes sense. So in light of the gospel, because of the mercies of God, because of those last 11 chapters that we talked about, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your logical worship. It makes sense to do that after all that he's done for you. Because in light of the fact that Jesus came and he lived and he died for us, it just makes sense. It just makes sense for us to worship God with all that we got. I mean, some of us have been in some dark and scary places. Some of us have been in close custody prisons. Some of us have been in, in trap houses. Some of us have, have been in the hospital due to mental illnesses. Some of us have lost children in the womb. Some of us have been in some dark, scary places. And we think about what Jesus saved us from. We thought about, what, thought about what Jesus brought us out of. It just makes sense to worship him with all that we got. Amen? I mean, think about it. When I think about the lost sinner that I was, the guy who used to stick a needle in his arm and run from the police and spend all those years in prison, the hateful guy that I was, and he saved me, redeemed me, and trans- is beginning to transform me more and more every day, it just makes sense for me to worship him. And so as Dr. Sproul writes again, what could be more logical or reasonable than offering our whole selves to God in thanksgiving and praise and worship and adoration with the saints behind the altar? So church, he is so right. What makes more sense than that? So let's just talk about Sunday. We come here each Sunday to glorify God. We come here each Sunday to remember Christ. We come here each Sunday to fellowship with the saints. And we do this with thanksgiving, with praise, with worship, and with adoration from the very depths of our heart, from the very depths of our being, because it's who Christ has made us to be. And we do this with thanksgiving, praise, worship, adoration. We do this through preaching we, we, we do this through, through preaching the word. We do this through singing the word. Every song that Joanna picks is always Christ-centered, gospel-centered, very theologically rich. We, we do this through giving, with thanksgiving and praise and worship. We do this through remembering the ordinances, so through the baptism and, and communion. Every Sunday as we gather together, no matter how big the congregation, if there's six of us in here, if there's 20 of us in here, if we put all the chairs back out and there's 100 of us in here, no matter how beautiful the sanctuary, we have a front row seat with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You understand that, right? And you might say, hey, how do you know that? How do you know that we have a front row seat with God? Because here's the thing. He inhabits the praises of his people. And we've been praising God all morning. And so you have to understand that God is here with us in our midst. He even says that where two or more are gathered, what? He's there, right? So he's here. He's with us. His spirit is in this place. And we have a front row seat with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's in the audience, guys. And we're praising him. We're lifting our voices in adoration and thanksgiving. And so how we enter into this place on Sunday morning and how we participate, it absolutely matters. Every ounce of it matters. When we lift our voices in adoration, when we lift our voices in in thanksgiving, as we worship him, It matters. We need to clear our minds and focus on the Word of God as we preach. Whoever's up here preaching, whether it's Aaron or Colin or me, as we worship Him. And guys, this isn't just a social club. Like, this isn't just a cute little church plant that we're doing. Like, oh, there's a cool new thing going on, so we're going to join that. Like, no, this this isn't just something that we do. This is literally who we are. We're Christians, right? This is what it's all about. We're living sacrifices. It's our logical worship. It just makes sense because of what he's done for us. And as we come into this place on Sunday, let us prepare for it on Saturday night. Don't let Sunday come upon you and strike you like, holy smokes, I don't know how I'm going to get this done. i got 14 kids and i got to get out the door, right? i got a screaming toddler and I have no idea how I'm going to get there on time. Let us, let us prepare for this on Saturday night. Let's pray. Pray for me on Saturday night. 
I need your prayers more than anybody uh, could ever know. I promise you that. Like, like that whole account when, when Aaron would lift up the arms of Moses so that Israel would prevail against the enemy, right? Like, I need that. I need you guys lifting my arms. I'm not invincible. I'm just a normal guy that's been called to this position. That's it. So pray. Pray for me as I preach. Pray for Colin as he preaches. Pray for Joanna as she sings. Pray for Colin as he does the music. Pray for Naomi as she prepares the childcare stuff. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for God to move in this place. Pray for people to come. Pray for people to get look at that invite that we gave them two months ago and be like, holy smokes, I'm gonna go to church today. Pray for God to move supernaturally and prepare yourselves. Pick out your clothes on Saturday night. Pray with your children that night about how uh, what's coming up the next morning. Pray for the sermon. Pray for us. Pray that it would go well. Expect God to move and expect to have an audience with the Savior every Sunday morning. When we come into the place like that, it'll change everything. I promise, guys. I promise. And so as I said before, worship is more than a song. And worship isn't only on Sundays, right? We spend less than 1% of our week here what do we do with the other 99%? That's the question I've been asking myself since I thought about this statistic last night. What am I doing with the other 99%? To be a Christian is to be a living sacrifice day in and day out wherever we live, work, or play. In order to give our very best to our master, we cannot only rely on the Sunday service alone to sustain us. Guys, this Sunday service is amazing. It's where we come together and from here, this 1% of the time that we spend, I hope would help us propel out into the week for the rest of the 99% of the time as one, as one guy commented on a Facebook thing last night. I hope that that's what it does and this is so awesome. But to tell you the truth, this is only but a supplement to our dietary, um, what, our dietary needs throughout the week, guys. You can't rely on just me standing up here alone to open my Bible and preach just to, uh, just to you. We need more than that. We need our own personal devotion with the Lord. Uh, we have to learn to think for ourselves. We have to come to maturity in Christ. And the only way that's going to happen is if we spend time in his word. The only, time, only way that's going to happen is if we spend time singing songs to him in praise. And the only time that that's going to happen, the uh, only way that's going to happen is if we spend time on our knees in prayer, right? Like we have to get his word in us read his word, pray his word, sing his word. We have to have our minds renewed. So this brings us to our third point. The only way that this is gonna happen is if we spend time in his word. Our third point, worship through his word. So let's read verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we see two major areas here. We see nonconformity, do not be conformed to the ways of the world, but be tra- and we see transformation, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so both areas find their root in worshiping God through his word. And as we think about nonconformity, so we're kind of, kind of shifting, we're not really shifting from worship to, to biblical um, worldview, but we, we're also, like, we're, we're adding on to worship through biblical worldview. Um, and so as we think about nonconformity, we think about the world around us. Nonconformity, we think about the world around us. What does the world believe? The world believes some things that are totally contrary to what we believe as Christians. Some major hot topics, abortion, for instance, right? The world believes um, that, that you should be able to abort children in the womb. Uh, they, they take a stand for same-sex marriage. Uh, every kid or every young adult that I know seems to come around and they all seem to have like anxiety or depression, right? And they're like nine years old. And I don't understand that. Every one of them says that I have this anxiety or I'm anxious about this or I'm depressed about this. It's, it's kind of a world, it's what the world around us believes. Um, the world around us believes that you can get drunk in the bar every single night, right? And, and, and go home with anybody that you want to. The world around us um, is beginning to decriminalize drug use. What was not popular, um, you know, five years ago is now totally legal now in, in states. Marijuana, um, even in some states, in Washington and Oregon, decriminalized methamphetamine and other drugs. The world is um, pacifying their children with tablets and with cell phones and, and with um, computers and television and, and et cetera, right? The world goes into these things more and more and more. And, but, but we have to understand that we're in war 
with the world, with the flesh, and with the devil every single day, guys. And as Christians, how are we going to know how not to conform to the world if we don't spend time worshiping God through his word? How are we going to know how to stand against what the world believes and not conform to it if we don't spend time maturing in his word? How are we going to know if we don't read this, read this thing? And, and, and how are we going to know if we don't discover what God has to say about all of this? So unless we diligently spend time studying the Word of God, both in the Old Testament and both in the New Testament, unless we spend time diligently studying the law of God and cultivating a biblical worldview, we will be deceived. And I promise you that's why many mainstream Christians go left and they, and they begin to sound much like the world because they do not spend time studying for themselves. So the jargon of the world and the jargon of the devil is never blatantly spelled out, guys. It always, it, I saw one preacher, and I'm probably going to preach way too long today, so I'm sorry. But the, the preacher uh, on, on the television or on the, on the internet, he said, the devil never comes to you with a chain and says, hey, I got this chain for you, Joanna. Put this chain on. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to totally wreck your freaking life with addiction and with everything else. The devil never says that, right? The devil's like, hey, I got this thing, and it's going to make your life better. Hey, I got this thing and it's going to make you pretty and skinny. And I got this thing and it's going to make you feel really great and have all this energy, right? And next thing you know, your life is totally dismantled and wrecked. It's never like, I have this thing that's going to throw you into prison and into bondage and take you further than you ever meant to go. No, the jargon of the world and the jargon of the devil is always super sweet and masquerading as an angel of light. So they never come out and say, um, you know, they never come out and say that the murder of unborn human lives is dis- the the murder of unborn human lives to the to the world and to to the jargon of the devil is disguised as as women's health rights right um, unholy matrimony as the scriptures would call an abomination is in what defies God's design for for reproduction is disguised in the name of love right um, the cute fun TV show. It, it seems so simple and innocent with all the colors and everything else on there. It actually promotes a message that is very dangerous to our children. Very dangerous to our children. Drunkenness and drugs and one-night stands are all disguised in the name of a good time and great memories. But what it doesn't tell you, what the devil doesn't tell you, is that this lifestyle will leave you broken, addicted, and going further than you ever meant to go. What started as a good time becomes a necessity in order to function. You understand? The world would say, hey, child, I, I see that you, focus, you have some anxiety in your heart. You have some, some things going on inside. What we're going to do is just give you prescriptions to make it better. The world would say that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take prescriptions that doctors give us. I'm not saying that they don't have a place. But what I'm saying is diagnosing all children this way, which seems to be the going style nowadays, isn't right. And they don't necessarily say, hey, they say it in a form of like, hey, I got something that's going to help you, right? And a lot of times it leads to things that are way worse. And so I'm not just picking on one thing. I could pick on gluttony. I could pick on, on, on jealousy. I could pick on um, anxiety, on doubt, on fear, whatever it is, right? I could pick on all of those things. But I tried to bring out a broad spectrum here. And this is why it's vital, guys, because of the jargon of the world, because of the jargon of the devil. That's why it's vital that we as Christians spend regular time worshiping the God through his word, worshiping God through his word, that we may discover not how to conform to the ways or how not to conform to the ways of the world. That we may discover what God is opposed to, that we may discover what is holy, that we may discover what is right, that we may discover what is just, and that we may stand on those things with God, that we may love what Jesus loves and hate what Jesus hates, and that we might love like Jesus loves, right? That's how we become well balanced. So nonconformity is actually the the easier of the two. It's really easy to stand against something. I mean, I, I, I know from even personal preference or personal um, experience how easy it's been to just stand on my soapbox and be like, blah, 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 against all these things, right? It's very easy to stand against stuff. It's easy not to press in the world, mold of the world around us. But transformation is the part that, that takes very diligent work. So do not be conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the word transformed is metamorphosis in, in the Greek. And it's the, it's, Anthony, do you know what metamorphosis, metamorphosis is? What? Do you know what it is, Veranda? So do you guys know about what happens when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly? 
That's the stage that it goes through. The, when the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, spends a few weeks in there, and next thing you know, it comes out a butterfly. That's called metamorphosis. Uh, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. But, but what Paul's saying in this text is that the Christian life of worship to God is not merely nonconformity. However, it's the radical transformation of ourselves above and beyond the forms of this world. It's entering into a cocoon, a caterpillar, and coming out a butterfly. It's, it's the, the beginning of our transformation process began with repentance. It, it began when the Holy Spirit convicted our hearts that we needed a Savior, that we were sinners. Um, it, it began when the Father drew us to Jesus, when we ran to the cross in saving faith, and, and, and then the direction of our lives took this U-turn. So the beginning of our transformation began with repentance. Our lives took a U-turn here after God drew us to the cross. Our mind began to change. Our thought began to change. The things that we loved began to change. But this isn't where we stay however we got to get off the milk and we got to get into some meat it's not enough for us to stay here and furthermore we don't read the bible for head knowledge just to spout off theological terms so everybody thinks that we're super smart right that's not the whole point of that's not the point of reading the bible so we can stay in the loop and have these arguments with people and all these other things that's not the point there's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge Again, as Sproul writes, God has designed us in such a way that the avenue to the heart is through the mind. The avenue to the heart is through the mind. So in order to transform into the Christians that God has called us to be, we must get the word into our minds and be renewed by what we read. And so again, I come back to that 1%. If this is the only time that you open your Bible and you come to church, is this, you're only opening your Bible 1% of your week. You're not transforming it's not happening. So we must come into our personal study time with a sense of urgency. As Paul says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you guys. You have a sense of urgency to go into the throne room of God on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, whatever nighttime, whenever it is that you have your best study time and get into the word so that you can transform into what God has called you to be. We must come with urgency. We don't need to dread about it. I, w- I want you to think about it. We get to encounter the living God inside the pages of scriptures. With each single page is the breath of God and we get the gift of being able to read it. It's amazing that we have this mercy right here in our hands and we get to read it. We- this is our worship. It's not a, something I'm sacrificing an hour of my day and this sucks. I, I gotta get up early before everybody else does so I can focus. Like this really stinks. No, it's I get to. I get, to, I get to know him more. I get to know him more because he gave us this word and he's kept this word and he's made sure this word was true and inerrant and people's tried to burn this word and he's preserved this word and he's kept this word through the centuries and now I get to hold it in my hand. Woo! Isn't that amazing? That's how we get to come into it every morning. Sometimes we gotta be, like Matt Chandler said, sometimes we gotta be like frothy Pentecostals. Okay, we got we got to get some excitement in our life about this. Like I know there's one woman I know her name Stephanie Jenkins, and I hope she listens to this. She is so excited every day to worship God, and I think like on my bad days I'm like, dang it, how can she be so stinking happy today? You know what I'm saying? That's the thing. She gets to, and man, we need that same kind of excitement in our lives, right? We get to. Don't forget where He's brought you from. So back to the term logical worship. It's reasonable that we worship the God who died for us through his word. It makes sense that we come with all that we have before God with our very best and get into his word, that we may be transformed through the renewal of our mind, through God's word, we'll be able to discern what his will is for our lives. And through this, we will be able to approve what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Through this, we'll be able to offer our very best self as holy and acceptable as a holy and acceptable living sacrifice to God. So I'm getting ready to close. And, uh, and, and one thing that I need us to know is, is we must worship God in light of the gospel. If we don't worship God in light of the gospel, then our worship is shallow. And so you think, hey, the gospel saved me. Why do I need to hear the gospel again today? We need the gospel every day. Or we need to hear the gospel every day because we need it every single day. We must worship God in light of the gospel. And we must understand that worship is sacrifice. We must worship through his word in order to be transformed through the renewal of our minds. 
So in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that Jesus Christ came into this world, he stepped out of his throne on high, he was born of a, ma- of a virgin in a manger in Bethlehem. As a little baby, he took on flesh. He was tempted in every level that we were tempted upon, right? And, and yet he did not sin. And he was betrayed by a friend with a kiss. And, and he was beaten and punched and whipped and rejected and mocked and ridiculed and a, and a heavy cross laid upon his back and beaten beyond recognition and nailed between his hands and his feet on the on the cross and lifted in the sky for the whole world to see between two thieves a perfect innocent jesus christ on our in our place dying on the cross there to be taken off to to be put into a borrowed tomb to raise again after three days to teach about the kingdom of god for 40 days to ascend to the right hand of the father and he's coming back so in light of the gospel the fact that he died in our place and rose again and that he's coming back how are you worshiping How are you worshiping? And if you have problems worshiping, I pray and I plead with you to preach the gospel to yourself in the morning and watch what happens. Recount what I've just said to you and preach that same thing to yourself and I guarantee that it changes your state of mind and your worship. And if it doesn't, your ticker's not taken right. So the will of God for every person here in this room is that we worship him He's called us to participate in worship. It it makes logical sense. It's perfect sense. We must sacrifice our whole selves in a lifelong commitment. We must worship God in such a way that it blows past the doors of this building and it fills into our workplaces, that it seeps into our homes, that it seeps into the coffee shops we go to, to the grocery stores we go to. We have to give the very best of ourselves to Him. And this is, is true transformation. It's a beautiful revival that's going to take place uh, when we focus on our own hearts first. You can't, you can't, fathers here in this room, just me and you, I guess. We can't just kick open the doors of our home and be like, we're going to start worshiping right now. And this is how this is going to go. And just expect everybody to get on board. It needs to start right here first in our own hearts. Mothers, sisters, little brothers and sisters, it all has to start right here first for it to make a change anywhere else. And, and, and so what if each one of us here in this room today said in light of the gospel, the fact that he lived, died, and, and rose again for me, I'm willing to worship him. What if each one of us said here in this room today that in light of the gospel, I'm willing to offer myself as a living sacrifice to God? What if we said in light of the gospel, I'm willing to give my very best hour of each day to the study of God's word that I might be renewed in my mind to be transformed? What if we said in light of the gospel, I'm willing to give my very best to God what if each one of us said that we'd be an unstoppable force just with the few that we have here it's when we begin with our own heart that genuine worship will flow into all parts of our lives I don't know how long have I been preaching for okay we're good then for a second each each night my wife and I lay my son down and and to go to sleep and and what we do is is special and it's just it's just happened. It wasn't something that we tried to do. It's just become a part of our nightly routine, and I look forward to it. So we go in there, and we read him a book, and we pray with him, and then he prays. You know, if you guys know Rev, it's a cute little thing that he does. And, and, uh, and then we sing to him, and we sing, Jesus loves me. Um, maybe sometimes I come to the garden alone. That's one of my favorite hymns, right? Just these different songs to him. And I say, get in bed. And at that time, Naomi leaves the room and it's just me and him. And I lay my son down and I cover him up and I sing Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star to get him calmed down. And then I will preach to him a little bit, whatever I've been reading that day. Maybe it's First Timothy, um, whatever it was. Uh, last night, um, I preached to him um, the great commandment, right? And, and so I just kind of preached a few words to him. The word of God was proclaimed and I left it at that. I, closed, I turned the light off and I, and I go away. And I was struck the other night, the sense of worship that I had with my son. The fact that God was present, because there's two of us in that room. The fact that God was present in that room. You know, I tucked my boy in with the protection of God that night. What better way to put him to sleep than that? And I was just overcome with the fact that, like, man, I... I'm doing something right, maybe, you know, like, and what beautiful worship that was, and I was just come face to face with all the times that I've had to worship God, and, and how amazing it, it, it was, and, and so I don't say that to shame anybody here that has children that doesn't do that, but I want you to know that it's such a wise thing to do. 
I want you to know that as you look into the eyes of your child as you're putting them in bed at night and you're singing them that song, I want you to realize the power of God that's in that room, guys. And the devil wants us not to be doing that. The world would love us not to be doing that, but God is honored when we do that, guys. And, and, and think about the presence and what better way to protect them every night. What better way to display the transformation that's taking place in our own hearts when we give them this example of family worship. Less than 1% of our week is spent here in worship. What are we doing with the other 99%? You can come up here, Joanna. I know that I preached long, and I'll get better, I promise, but what are we doing with the other 99%? See, worship is sacrifice. The sacrifice that God desires is holy, and it's set apart. And, and maybe you say that, maybe you say, you know what, Tanner, you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea the amount of pain that I hold in my heart right now. You have no idea the suffering that I'm going through. You have no idea the things that I'm wrestling with in my head. You have no idea how hard my kids are. You have no idea how bad my job sucks. You, you have no idea how bad I need money in my life and I can't pay my bills and all these other things. You have no idea how bad my heart hurts since, since my loved one died. Whatever it might be, you might be saying, you have no idea what I'm going through. How do I worship in these times? And I want to bring you to, to Job. And I want you to think about this. When everything was taken from Job and he had nothing, his, his, his kids were gone, right? Uh, like everything was gone. He had boils on his skin and he sat in, ash, ash cloth, he sat in ashes and sackcloth. And his wife came and he said, why don't, she said, why don't you just curse God and die? And he wouldn't. And in the book of Job, he says, though you slay me, Though you slay me, yet I will worship you. And so how do you worship God through that time that you're going through with the, with the miscarriage or, or with pain of a lost loved one or with battling things inside your head or with hard kids or whatever it is? How do you worship God? Though you slay me, Lord, yet I'll worship you. I will offer myself as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing to you, God. Everything that I am, you get because of what you've done. That's it, guys. That's how we do it. And so may we offer the very best of ourselves as living sacrifices, not out of losing something valuable, but out of expressing our adoration for our King who came, who lived, who died, and who rose again, who ascended, and who is returning for His church. To be a Christian is sacrifice. May we offer Him our best in worship even outside of these walls. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You so much. We're grateful, God, that Your Word was preached, and we pray, Father, that all of our hearts would hold on to these truths this morning, that, God, we would walk out of here changed and that, that there would be something from your word that was spoken this morning that each and every single one of us could not let go, that we'd allow it to cut us deep, God, but we'd also allow your word to do what it does, and that's to, 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 um, to heal us up, to, to make us feel better, God, and that we would be challenged to, to go out and, and, and serve you. So, Lord, we pray that our worship this week would be sweet, that it wouldn't be 1%. But even if it's just 2% this week, God, but that we would, we would do better. So God, we ask for your favor this week. We ask for your protection. As we seek to, as we seek to worship you, we know that things are going to get even harder. But God, allow us to, to, to glory in the fire. Allow us to glory when we lose everything. Although you slay us, let us worship you. We thank you, Lord.